Hello and welcome to another episode of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo, broadcasting from the Cellmark Studios. Colleen Daniel is here, as always, socially distancing from home, along with the About Mansfield news team. This is episode 55. We thank you for being here with us. Coming up on the episode today, we have Mansfield news, sports, and weather for the upcoming week. And don't forget the trivia question of the week for a $40 gift card to First Watch Cafe. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. This week, the COVID-19 epidemic continues it spread in Mansfield. The trends are getting worse. City Council says goodbye to a couple of old friends. Council swears in two new members. Local company takes a national television stage through robotics. Summit almost reached the summit of the State 5A high school football playoffs. Just like Lionel Richie, I'm dancing on the ceiling. I'm home improvement specialist Terry Radswin. I'll take off my dancing shoes, come back down to earth, and we'll talk about it in the Ask Terry segment later in the show. Alexa is here with our seven-day weather forecast, and Steve will talk in studio with paleontologist Dr. Jared Wood, director of the Dinosaur Science Museum in Keene. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is About Mansfield. Hey, business owners, have you thought about growing your business through social media but don't know where to start? Never fear. I'm Sonia Salazar, and Wise Media Group is here offering coaching for do-it-yourself social media marketing, or we can do it for you. We have packages for every budget. Wise Media Group specializes in organic Facebook and Instagram growth. Let's get Mansfield businesses connected in 2021. Give us a call for a free 30-minute consultation at 817 817- That's 817-913-2989. Or find us on social media at Wise Media Group. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Media Group on Facebook and Instagram. Wise Media Group, helping you make wise social media marketing decisions in 2021. Did you know that Southwestern Adventist University is located right in our backyard? With a small, safe campus, Swahoo provides a Christ-centered learning environment with hands-on experiences and dedicated professors. For a limited time, local freshmen enrolling for fall 2021 will receive a stackable $3,000 scholarship. Interested in becoming a pastor, chaplain, or a Bible teacher? Earn a psychology degree at Southwestern Adventist University. Learn more at swau.edu. Your logo or emblem defines who you are, so why not show it off with custom printed shirts? I'm Dana Wood with Ohana Screen Printing. We are a custom screen printing company and can print your design or help you create a new design. While t-shirts are our specialty, we can print on all kinds of apparel such as masks, hoodies, bags, you name it. Ohana means family and that's exactly why we started Ohana Screen Printing, to bring our family and community together through creative expression. We look forward to adding you to our family. Rest assured that when you do business with Ohana Screen Printing, that your dollars stay local as we are a family-owned business based right here in Mansfield. If you're part of a business, organization, or sports team looking to make a visual presence, hit us up on Facebook or ohanascreenprinting.com. That's ohanascreenprinting.com. Hi, I'm Carmen McMillan, Executive Director of Mansfield Mission Center, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. This portion of the news is brought to you by Ohana Screen Printing. The COVID-19 epidemic continues to spread in Mansfield. Roving science reporter Dennis Webb has the story. Dennis? Thank you, Steve. On Monday, January the 11th, Tarrant County reported 4,975 Mansfieldians as having tested positive. 3,443 are estimated to have recovered, and 68 citizens have died since the start. We had 512 new cases in Mansfield this past week, up from the previous week, another record high. The county estimates we now have 1,532 active cases in Mansfield, a big increase. This is the number of fellow citizens who could pass the virus to another person if both are not taking protective measures. This is also a record high. For context, today there are almost 10 times more people estimated to be carrying the virus in Mansfield than at the start of September. This means if you are out and about with random fellow citizens, you are 10 times more likely to catch the virus from then than back in September if you were not all taking protective measures. We had five new COVID-19 deaths in Mansfield this past week, a number typical of the last few weeks, a much 
higher than most months since the start. Johnson County is not providing updates for their part of Mansfield as their overworked emergency department has been supporting vaccinations. There have been no new cases reported in the part of Mansfield that is in Ellis County. Mansfield ISD has resumed reporting after their holiday break, reporting 193 new staff cases and 275 new student cases since December 18, their last report. These numbers likely include diagnoses during the three-week gap in reporting. Check the MISD website for current reporting for individual schools. Note that they report current active and recovered cases, not new cases reported here, so it will look a little different, but it is the same data if I've done the math right. On January the 1st, Mansfield Methodist Hospital reports its beds were 98% occupied, with 54% of the beds holding COVID patients. The intensive care unit is full, with 78% of the ICU beds supporting COVID patients. These are mostly up from the numbers in late December. Looking at this another way, there are five times as many COVID patients in Mansfield Methodist Hospital than back in mid-September. There are four times as many COVID patients in our hospital's intensive care units than we had in mid-September. Looking at countywide numbers, Tarrant County averaged 2,531 new cases each day last week, continuing the increasing trend. The test positivity rate of the tests, how many, given how many are positive, has climbed to 30%, suggesting there are a lot more people out there carrying the virus than are known. Countywide hospitalization with the virus increased to today's value of 1,479 citizens in a hospital bed in the county with the virus, another record high. The county reported 82 deaths this past week, not a record high for the county, but still 82 grieving families. Last week, I talked about a new epidemic indicator that Tarrant County is reporting for its population, R sub T, which is the effective reproduction number of the virus spread. Last week, it was 1.12. This week, it is estimated to be 1.22 so it's an increase. We don't know if the number is the same for Mansfield. We may be higher or lower, but if we apply this estimate to Mansfield, our current 1,532 active cases are expected to infect 1.22 times 1,532, which equals 1,869 other citizens in the coming weeks. It is only an estimate, but another indicator of going in the wrong direction. On the positive side, Tarrant County reported another nearly 15,000 citizens have been vaccinated this past week, bringing the total up to over 33,000. This is progress, but still represents less than 2% of the Tarrant County's population. The county recommends you sign up on their vaccination website, and when you're scheduled, go to one of the super sites the county has established. Texas Governor Greg Abbott visited our local super site in Arlington on Monday, encouraging everyone to get vaccinated, though noting that right now the limit on vaccination is vaccine supply, one of the few national trends that affects our local conditions. My wife and I have signed up and are waiting for an email to schedule us as we are Category 1B people. County Judge Glenn Whitley encourages all citizens to get the vaccination. He, uh, he spoke at the governor's press event and still requests that we continue following his recommended measures of masking, distancing, hand washing, avoiding crowds, stay home if you can until the numbers get a lot better. A reflection on this report. As an engineer who learned to address any issue of concern by analyzing numbers with discipline, my reports come from a well-worn reflex. As I feel, there is a threat to project success, in this case, the project being my own survival and that of my wife and fellow citizens. All of the numbers reported here come from organizations led by duly elected officials at the state and county levels, trying to accurately provide a situation report, a military term SITREP that I learned from the many veterans that I worked with. I like to think anybody graduated high school could make this report, as it only requires simple arithmetic on public reports. I do find myself disappointed by the generally accurate reports in local media, as I think the perspective on what it means to each of us gets lost. Oh dear, there are more. We were under a siege, and some of us may perish, as five did in Mansfield this past week. We all got pandemic fatigue. I certainly do. But our pass out of this mess is to follow guidance of our locally elected county officials. I recommend that each of you apply to get vaccinated and follow County Judge Whitley's recommendations until the numbers get a lot better. As always, we welcome any science questions from listeners. Put your question in an email to info at aboutmansfield.com. 
From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. It was a traditional changing of the guard at Monday's city council meeting as city manager Joe Smolinski thanked David Cook and Brent Newsom for their years of service as mayor and councilman, respectively. With grateful acknowledgement of your dedication and service to the citizens of Mansfield, the city of Mansfield wishes you the best in your future endeavors, and thank you. District 96, David Cook. Chief Clerk Robert Haney called roll at the state capitol in Austin on Tuesday, where David Cook was sworn in as one of many new state house representatives. That I will faithfully execute the duties of the office of member of the House of Representatives of the 87th Legislature of the State of Texas. The Mansfield City Council swore in two new council members Monday night with the addition of Tamara Bounds and Mayor Michael Evans. With a recap on the rest of the evening, here is Councilman Casey Lewis. The council held our first meeting of the year on Monday, January 11th. The meeting started with festivities as we recognized and celebrated Mayor Cook and Brent Newsom for their years of service to the city of Mansfield. Then, new Mayor Michael Evans and Councilwoman Tamara Bounds were sworn in and took the oath of office. I'm Michael Evans, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the duties of the office of mayor, case one. The business portion of the meeting had one agenda item, a zoning case in historic downtown for a future craftsman-style home to be built and used for commercial purposes. It was approved unanimously and will come back before council on January 25th for final approval. Councilman Lehman was also elected by the council to serve as the mayor pro tem until May of 2021. We also had a work session before the meeting with Stillwater Capital to discuss their plans within the reserve zoning district, where they rolled out a Class A three-story office tower, a destination restaurant location, a variety of housing types and preliminary plans for a hotel and convention center. Filing for three city council seats in the May 2021 election opens on Wednesday, January 13th. On behalf of the Mansfield City Council and for About Mansfield, I'm Casey Lewis. Sunday was a day of sledding, snow angels, and, if you were lucky enough, a snowball fight with a local police officer. The National Weather Service reported that Mansfield received one to three inches of snow, depending on what part of town you were in. The high temperature for Sunday came at 2 o'clock in the morning at 43 degrees, and it quickly dropped to the mid-30s, where it stayed for the remainder of the day. It was the first snowfall in Mansfield field in five years, which gave kids and the young at heart an opportunity to sled down hills, build a snowman, or, as some kiddos did on Stone Creek Drive, challenge Mansfield police officer Jim Polly to a friendly snowball fight. Polly called for backup, and officers Hart and Lane joined in the fun. You can see photos and video of the snowfall taken by Mansfield residents on the About Mansfield Facebook page. Viewers of the Discovery Channel may be familiar with a program called BattleBots. It's a uh, episode, a series of, of episodes that has, has been airing for years. One of the bots in this episode is called Huge. It definitely lives up to its name. Uh, Huge comes out of the East Coast, but its tie-in to Mansfield is that it's sponsored by... Mauser Electronics, which is right here in Mansfield. And uh, with us on the telephone is uh, hardware engineer Jonathan Schultz. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to About Mansfield. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about Huge and uh, and how you got involved with BattleBots. I got involved with uh, BattleBots originally just from being a fan of when the show was around in the early 2000s as a little kid, and then coming up through engineering school, learning a little bit about robotics, and then just diving into it totally headlong. Robotics isn't just BattleBots, the TV show, but there are uh, local events as well for smaller robots. So we built a smaller version of Huge, um, our 250-pound fighting robot for the show. Uh, And then from building that and meeting people, we built a team around it. And then when it became time that we wanted to actually attempt to go fight at BattleBots on the show, that's when um, some people we knew who worked with uh, Mauser I guess, put us in touch with the right people, and then they've been supporting us ever since. Now, Huge looks like, uh, in the photos that I'm looking at, looks appears to be about two to three times larger than, than the competitors. Is there a a size limit? No, there's no size limit, really. It's it's just the limits of your imagination. And, you know, the door, I think, is about eight by ten, so that's kind of preferable. You could probably fit it in without <laughs> disassembling it to get it through the door. But there's certainly there's a, a few other robots that have cropped up since we started competing that are even larger. Is there a weight limit? Every robot you see on the show 
is 250 pounds thereabouts. So what our challenge is, is we know we need to be bigger than everybody else. Because for people who haven't seen it, it looks somewhere between a Civil War cannon and a trailer. It's it's two giant wheels uh, with a bar in the middle that spins really fast. And the, the wheels kind of hold all of the soft spots, you know, really high off the ground. And the bar can hit down all the way to ground level and hit people who are down there. Because usually the opponents just designed to attack each other and they're all very small. So for us to be that big, we need to use different materials, basically. So we have a lot of plastic in the robot. The show BattleBots, how did you get involved with that? And uh, you had mentioned that you saw it as a kid, but uh, eventually, how did Huge wind up on BattleBots? The people who run BattleBots, they keep a pretty good tab on the bot building community, so to speak. So, you know, we can, we've built uh, three and 30 pound robots before for local events. They're put on, there's no prize money. You pay 80 bucks to get in. Anybody can come fight. So BattleBots operates off of an application system. And one of the most compelling ways that you can apply to the show is to say, look at my little robot and look how good it is. And that was exactly what we did. We sent them, you know, here's how we would build a big one. Here's how good the little one is. Here's how fun it is. Here's how great it is to watch. And they fell head over heels for it. We have a high school here in Mansfield called Ben Barber, and it is actually nationally known for its robotics program for possibly some some Ben Barber students who may be listening right now. Do you have any advice on how they can take their robotics experience to the next level? Um, my thoughts on robotics experience and, and everything to do with it, getting into it is really just, you know, picking an achievable goal and heading out and learning what you need to do to get there. You know, every time we build a new version of the robot where you're usually integrating new things and learning new skills in the process, but there's no, like, you can't, you know, point your finger at the top of Everest and solve every problem to get up there. You know, you have to climb the smaller hills first. And for us, that was learning how to build robots. So that's why we started at the lower classes. And combat robotics is expensive. There's a million other robotics projects that you can do. Um, you know, go online and find a project that you're into, something that could cost under 50 bucks, and learn the code, learn the parts, learn the soldering, learn the assembly, learn the design, learn what you need to do to build it. And the next thing you know, your imagination will just come up with more and more ideas, pun intended, bigger and bigger ideas. Um, and, you know, it just grows from there. And, and that's what our path has been is like. So Jonathan Schultz, again, is the hardware engineer. You have four other teammates on Team Huge. Uh, you want to give a shout out to the other four? My role on the team, I'm team captain. I drive it. I do design a lot of the hardware, the mechanical uh, parts of it. And I have the, the little credit that came up with the idea originally. Second member of the team, second person joined was uh, Peter Lombardo, one of my roommates from college, great friend of mine. And he does all the electronics along with just knowing how to kind of, you know, when your robot's so different, you know, need to know how to think in that mindset. And Peter knows that really well. Third member of the team we added was uh, Maddie Thumma. She does uh, graphic and web design as a day job. So that's what she does for the team. So she communicates with Mauser a lot as a sponsorship partner. She designed her website. She designed the whole look of the robot. She designed the t-shirts. She designed the stickers. Like I'm not saying any of this to be reductive. It is truly an essential part of the team. Otherwise, after that, we added uh, our teammate Garrett Santolini, who was someone who we met at local robotics event. He's just that quintessential solve anything pit crew guy. And then after that, we needed some more hands. So we added uh, Don Dorfler. He's more electronically focused. He calls it taming the spaghetti, just getting the wiring harness perfect and getting everything right in the frame. But he's also super experienced in his own right. He has his own championship winning robot. So it's kind of just bringing that experience on. And again, uh, the BattleBots, two bots going head to head, 250 pounds each, winner takes all. Winner takes all. We will put a link on our website on uh, how to watch BattleBots on Discovery Channel and uh, and things like that. I believe it's Thursday nights. Is that right? That's correct. Thursday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. And uh, is there anything that you wanted to add before we say goodbye? You know, I don't want to understate what Mauser has been able to do. What, what they've been able to help us do is something we couldn't do without them. And it's it's hard to find ways to thank them and credit that enough because this is, you know, like I said, this is childhood dream stuff. Like we get to fight robots on TV. Thursday nights on Discovery Channel, BattleBots, and be sure again to take a look for Huge. And Huge, uh, again, the tie-in to Mansfield, Texas, is Huge, is sponsored by Mauser Electronics. And we've been talking with the hardware engineer and uh, the owner of Huge, uh, Jonathan Schultz. We sure appreciate your time for being on About Mansfield. Thank you very much for having me. 
Let's check sports with Tommy Cummings. Summit nearly made it to the summit. But in the 5A State High School football semifinals, it was Denton Ryan that made it to the Division I Summit. The nation's ninth-ranked team held off Summit 49-35 at AT&T Stadium in Arlington on Friday. Summit was hoping to become the first Mansfield ISD football team to reach the state football finals. And while it may have been a downer of an ending for Summit, the team's overall body of work was a positive this year. To break it all down, we have with us sports writer Darren Lauber, who covered several Summit games this season for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He was on hand for the semifinal. Darren? It kind of boils down to uh, the fact that I think after probably the uh, Midlothian game, when they, they got beat 49-30 uh, to 30 by Midlothian back on uh, November 27th, and I, I don't know what happened in the in the locker room or with the coach, with coach uh, Shannon Hall or what happened, but something happened where this team came together like no other team I don't think I've ever seen. And I've been covering you know high school football for a long time. You know they just started to start pulling on the same rope. They took care of business. You know in their last uh, district game up against uh, Birdville. You know it wasn't pretty. You know they I think they won by you know twelve points. Uh, but their district was very very tough this year. I, I covered that game and I talked to Coach Hall afterwards, and he goes, you know, nobody's going to pick us. You know, we're, we're going to go out. We're going to, to Abilene to play Abilene Cooper. We played in a district that was as tough as any in the state, and he's right. They did play in a district that was as tough as any in the state. I, I didn't get to see them against Abilene Cooper and Admiral Tascosa, and of course, yes, I was as shocked as anyone that they won those two games. But then I did go uh, cover the game against Colleyville Heritage and Red Oak, and uh, I mean, you could just—I I don't know what the difference was. I think I think part of the deal was, you know, in addition to them all pulling on the same rope, I think you saw their quarterback David Hopkins, you know, you know, go from basically, you know, I, this figure of speech, he, he grew from a boy to a man. Um, I had not realized that uh, one of their top players, Keenan McKinney, uh, had uh, injured, had been injured, and uh, he was kind of their backup quarterback. He would come in, you know, and sub for Hopkins, and 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 he would get some some, some things. Done sometimes that Hopkins didn't wasn't able to do. As Coach Hall says, you know they 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 learn to love each other. You know they they never quit, and you know I think that is is kind of what happened. You know they they were discombobulated up until you know that last district game, and then they all decided to start pulling on the same rope. Didn't Ryan is so good, uh, Tommy. You know, uh, and Coach Hall said this too. You know they're, they're number one in the state for a reason. They are very very good. Now that being said, you know Summit was toe to toe with them pretty much the whole entire game. They would get down, but they would come back. They were down fourteen nothing. They come back to fourteen to seven. You know, Ryan scores a touchdown. I think with a minute something, minute forty three left in the uh, second quarter to go up twenty one to uh, or twenty yeah twenty one to seven Hopkins isn't deterred you know he marches them right down the field they score you know they miss the next point but it's you know at halftime it's 21 to 13 and they have had three turnovers in the first half which you can't do against a, uh, the number one team in the state you just can't do that but and you know their, their first uh, turnover was returned for a touchdown so that was one of the scores uh, you know Ryan opens the second half with the score but then uh, uh, Summit fights back again you know they, they they score twice and they actually get to within one point of Ryan with uh, uh, 10 minutes left in the uh, in the fourth quarter. You know, it's 28-27. And, you know, the press box is buzzing a little bit. You know, those Denton Ryan uh, writers from up there in Denton are going, what's going on here? And I go, you know, this is what's this is what they do. And this is their magic, you know. You know, so much defense, you know, Coach Hall is a defensive coach. He, he loves to play defense. And their defense did a very, very good job. The, the one thing that I think that they didn't do in this game that I've seen them do in many, many other games is that they're a defensive line, which is very, very good just did not was not able to get to uh, uh Ryan's quarterback and, and put him on the ground you know they they didn't sack him as much and and you know you know credit to them you know their quarterback like I said he's going to Memphis he's no slouch you know every time they needed to keep third down converted uh they would clear out one side Billy Bowman Jr. who was very very fast he's going to Oklahoma he would run a crossing route and you know even as good as you know Jalen Rock and and Sean Smith and some of these defensive backs at Summit are you know they, you know if you're chasing that a kid that that that's that fast. It's just hard to do it, and you know it was just it was a very very good game, and uh, you know someone had five turnovers, and you just you just can't do that. What can we expect from uh, Summit going forward? Is there a football culture in place in which they can continue to be that as good as they were this year? Yeah, um, yeah. David Hopkins, you know, as hard as it was, he, he was kind enough to, to talk to me after the game, and uh, you know, he, I asked him. I, I think I asked him that very question, uh, and he goes, you know. 
with what we've done and seeing the change and how, how big a difference it makes caring about each other and loving each other and, and never giving up and pulling on, you know, like I said, like I said, pulling on the same rope. He goes, uh, you know, I, this, you know, just wait for next year. He goes, I'm going to build, I'm going to build on this. You know, I think everybody else that's coming back is going to build on it too. So I, I think so. I think coach Hall has got these kids and if he can keep, you know, his, uh, his leaders from year to year, realizing this and, and having the same mentality and, and same sense of family and uh, everything like that. I, you know, I, I expect someone to do some pretty good things here in the future. I know you cover a lot of men's field ISD sports for the Star Telegram, <laughs> and the Star Telegram does an excellent job of uh, promoting high school sports, and so uh, keep doing a good job. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Darren, for that analysis. Be sure to catch Darren's coverage in the Star Telegram. That's it for sports at Mansfield. If you have any sports news, let us know. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Tommy Cummings. It's time for the Ask Terry Do-It-Yourself Home Improvement feature. Terry Radswin is our resident home improvement specialist, and he answers your questions about the place that you call home. Terry? Today we've got a question from Mark, who says, says, I recently moved into an older home. It has a popcorn ceiling, which has a small water stain, but the ceiling is dry. However, the ceiling crumbled in my hand. Is this popcorn ceiling dangerous? How should I go about repairing or replacing it? Excellent questions, Mark, and ones that would qualify again as frequently asked. But in order to answer it, I'd have to ask you a few questions in return. You say that the ceiling is dry, but you haven't told me whether the leak that caused the water stain has been repaired or not. So the first thing I do, assuming that the problem is with a ceiling that has an attic above, is get into the attic and verify that the main problem has been addressed. There's no point in repairing the popcorn texture if there's a chance that the spot will get wet again. Since you've recently moved into the house and you said the ceiling is dry, we'll go under the assumption that the leak's been taken care of. Now, you also said that the ceiling crumbled in your hand. What I don't know is whether just the popcorn material crumbled in your hand or whether the drywall itself was softened and fell apart when you touched it. Obviously, if the drywall's been compromised, it needs to be repaired. Depending on whether the boards deteriorated all the way through from the water leak or whether the damage is just at the surface, you might have to remove the offending section and put in a patch. If you see a hole through the drywall with blackened edges, you're definitely going to have to cut out the damaged area. The blackened edges are usually just mildew stains, not the often mistaken for black mold. Put in a patch piece of drywall, apply drywall tape and joint compound to smooth the area over. Again, we'll go with assuming that the damage is just at the surface and it was the popcorn texture that came off in your hand, meaning that we're just going to have to get rid of the softened texture and replace it. What caused the texture material to deteriorate was obviously the water that soaked through the drywall. Popcorn texture is really just tiny polystyrene foam beads that are suspended in thinned-down drywall joint compound. When it gets wet, the compound loses its adhesive properties, and the foam beads come loose from it. We all most likely played with paper mache while doing art projects as kids. If you remember what happened to paper mache when it got wet, the plaster or the flour paste turned back to mush and the bond with the paper was destroyed. That's pretty much the same principle at work here. Is it dangerous? Probably not. If you're unsure, though, and the house was built before 1978, you may want to get a lead test kit from your home improvement store or hardware store and have it analyzed. Repairing the damage is pretty simple. You'll need to get a wide putty knife and gently scrape off the popcorn from the surrounding area around the water spot. It doesn't really matter if you slightly scuff or gouge the drywall because the popcorn patch will cover any of those small flaws. In fact, where I grew up in the Midwest, the only time popcorn sealing was ever used was to hide defects in a finished smooth ceiling. Now you got a couple of options as far as the repair itself. If you're good with that putty knife or trowel, there's a patch material that comes in a plastic tub that you can spread onto the freshly scraped area and smooth out flat. But the most common approach is to apply the texture the way it was installed in the first place, by spraying it on. You're certainly not going to go out and get an air compressor and a spray rig for a small repair like this, but there is a product that comes in an aerosol can that shoots straight up, and that's what I generally recommend. I'd caution you that the stuff comes out of the can pretty quickly, so you've got to hold the nozzle at least a foot away from the ceiling and spray in quick, short bursts while keeping the nozzle moving in a sweeping motion. If you hold it in one spot too long, it'll puddle up and drip on the floor, and if you hold it too close, it'll back spray all over you and the surrounding area. 
get a scrap of cardboard or something and practice a few times before you get on the ladder to do the job. The next question I'm sure is on your mind is, how do I keep the water stain from coming back? Well, you need to apply a stain-killing primer to the area and a finished coat of paint, but you can't brush it or roll it on because you'll likely take the popcorn beads off when you do. There's a spray product. Again, I don't generally mention brand names, but it's a paint that kills stains that shoots in an upward direction and will do the job nicely. Again, practice a little before you do the finish work to avoid drips and puddles. Once that's on, you can spray on a finished coat of flat paint if you can find a white spray paint that's a good match for the ceiling paint, which will be a challenge. I'd let it go with the primer on it, unless the primer is a really bad match for the existing ceiling. You may find that respraying the entire ceiling is the best option. Thanks for the question, Mark. And if you have a question or a project you'd like my help with, please let me know. You can reach me through the podcast email or on my Facebook page at Ask Terry AM Podcast or my Twitter at Ask Terry AM Pod. We'll talk again soon. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Home Improvement Specialist Terry Radswin. If you have a home improvement question, you can send an email to askterry at aboutmansfield.com. Again, that's askterry at aboutmansfield.com. Terry will tackle another home improvement question next week. Thursday is National Dress Up Your Pet Day. Let's see if it's going to be a good day weather-wise to dress your poodle up in its Sunday best for a day at Man's Best Field Dog Park. Alexa? In Mansfield for the next seven days, Tuesday through Saturday should be sunny, with clouds on Sunday. On Monday, it should be sunny again. Daytime highs will range between 53 and 62 degrees Fahrenheit. Perfect weather for National Dress Up Your Pet Day and take them to the dog park. According to Tarrant Regional Water District, Mansfield lawns still need no irrigation this week. Keep your sprinklers off. There's no chance of snow this week with sunny skies and temperatures in the 50s. With spring right around the corner, you can check out Landscape Fundamentals for a refresher on planned improvements, as well as a map of watering recommendations for North Texas at waterisawesome.com. Um, congratulations to Rhonda Meadows, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. Name one of the two former Dallas Stars players that the rinks at the Mansfield Star Center are named after. According to the Star Center website, the two hockey rinks are named Hatcher and Morrow in honor of former Dallas Stars captains Darian Hatcher and Brendan Morrow. Rhonda has won a $40 gift card to First Watch Cafe. After the break, this week's trivia question of the week. Hi, I'm Adam Larson, operations manager at the Mansfield Star Center, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Hey Mansfield, did you know cannabis is legal in Texas? I'm Sonia Salazar, co-owner of Wise Wellness. As cannabis educators and advocates, we can answer any questions you have regarding hemp-derived CBD. Wise Wellness carries a variety of products, including oils, topicals, edibles, and pet products. We are located on FM 157 beside Mansfield Fun Jewelry. As a thank you to the About Mansfield podcast listeners, we are offering a buy one, get one free special on select products. Just mention the podcast at checkout. Follow us on social media for our latest updates. Search for Wise Wellness. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon. Hey, it's Steve Casillo. I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record and produce our weekly About Mansfield episodes. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and can even help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great local shows, such as Ask Philip, The Face-Off Spot, and Daughter of the Other Woman, just to name a few, and handles post-production duties for remote clients, such as Coaching Through Chaos out of San Diego and Military Resource Radio from Detroit. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need the help from concept to completion... Podcast Mansfield is there to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway, just off of 287 in Mansfield. For more information on starting your podcast, or if you're looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. That's podcastmansfield.com. Introducing Cole! 
Cold Hammer Stills? What is Cold Hammer Stills? It's a 70-proof chocolate cappuccino liqueur that's been distilled six times with a balanced blend of coffee, light cinnamon, and cocoa to create an enticing, robust flavor. Here, try some. Oh, my gosh. Becky, Becky, Becky. Come here. You have to try this. Ooh. What the? This is so delicious. I've never had anything like this. I need to have some more of this. Fine. Come! Cold Hammer Stills. Fine liqueur is at Total Wine and More or your favorite package store. Ask for it by name. It is time right now for the highly coveted, wildly popular trivia question of the week. The first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com will receive $40 in brunch bucks to First Watch Cafe located in the shops at Broad. First Watch is an award-winning breakfast, brunch, and lunch favorite that specializes in both traditional and innovative creations, all freshly prepared to order. Check them out on the web at firstwatch.com. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, for nearly 150 years, the folks in Mansfield, Ohio, laid claim to being the country's most populated city among the 26 cities and townships that share the Mansfield name. Then, Mansfield, Texas, had a growth spurt and took the claim away. This week's trivia question is multiple choice. During what Census Bureau decade did Mansfield, Texas, become the nation's most populated city named Mansfield? Was it 1970, 1990, or 2010? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, during what Census Bureau decade did Mansfield, Texas, become the nation's most populated city named Mansfield? Was it 1970, 1990, or 2010? Good luck. And thanks to Ryan at First Watch for the gift card. Coming up after the break, we are going to take a 30-minute drive to Keene, Texas, and talk with Dr. Jared Wood. He's the director of the Dinosaur Science Museum. Stay with us. I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield. In 1999, Mansfield Cares was founded to be the safety net for those in need in our great city. Mansfield Cares built the first free medical, dental, eye clinic and the warehouse that is home to the only food bank in Mansfield. Our city's seven food pantries, Feed the Kids program, Back to School Bash, and college scholarships have all benefited from Mansfield Cares. Become a part of Mansfield's safety net. Donate today at mansfieldcares.org. That's mansfieldcares.org. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo. As we make the switch from news to talk, and here in the studio today, uh, we've got a gentleman who has uh, earned a PhD in conservation biology and genetics from the University of Louisville. He's an associate professor of biology at Southwestern Adventist University, or SWAU, out there in Keene, Texas. And the neat thing about Keene, by the way, is only it's only about a half an hour from Mansfield. And once you hop on Heritage Parkway, it's basically on the same street. Heritage Parkway turns into 917. 917 turns into, uh, what's it, 2280? Is that... Uh and that's where uh, that's where the university is, Southwestern Adventist University, about a half hour from here. We are going to talk about uh, dinosaurs and bones and fossils. And Dr. Jared Wood, first of all, welcome to About Mansfield. Thank you. And I have to apologize in advance because my experience or knowledge of paleontology goes about as far as Indiana Jones. <laughs> hey, prior prior to about five years ago. Uh, Probably so did mine. Uh, it's based on Jurassic Park, but well, and I was my say, life took a turn. And so, if I ask very elementary questions, it's okay. All right, then, then let's let's get moving. Let's find out about Jared first. How'd you become interested in in paleontology? Uh, you know, I didn't go into this job thinking that's what I wanted to do. You know, early on, uh, like. Every four-year-old, I probably loved dinosaurs, so I'd always had a fascination with dinosaurs growing up, but I made an active decision when I was a kid to pursue wildlife conservation. You know, dinosaurs had their shot. I figured animals are still around today, reptiles included. I'd, I'd you know, focus on protecting them because I love being outdoors. I loved animals. Anyways, I went all through my career studying zoology, specializing in reptiles, and Southwestern was looking for a professor to teach zoology, ecology, and help with the dinosaur program. 
And I'm like, well, that's cool. I can do everything. And I can move back closer to home. I'm from Southwest Oklahoma. Uh, and I was in Kentucky at the time. So I applied for the job and, and got it and then started training more in paleontology uh, and loved it more and more. And now I've published in it. So it kind of took a turn from zoology to paleontology, but that's actually not that uncommon in my field. Um, there's not too many programs that offer paleontology degrees. So a lot of the time you have people start off as geologists okay. or biologists and then kind of take a turn towards paleontology at some point. And paleontology for the the listeners that don't know, paleontology is the study of prehistoric animals. I mean, it's not just dinosaurs. So a lot of prehistoric animals. And you've been a, a paleontologist for how long? Uh, probably about five years. Okay. And where has your work taken you? All of our work takes place in Wyoming. Uh, our dig site in Wyoming is so rich that I'll probably spend the rest of my career digging in Wyoming, in Wyoming on this one ranch. Uh, it it could be one of the richer bone beds in the world. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of fossils. You can't walk around without stepping on bone fragments. Wow. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. Most people don't believe you until they get out there. We had a reporter come out, and he couldn't believe it till he got there, and then he was just mesmerized. The name of the ranch... Uh, the Hanson Ranch. The Hanson, the Hanson Ranch family still owns a ranch. And the Hanson Ranch project, which which mm -hmm. uh, you led, it turned into a TV program. Yes. So and we do so many cool things. Other people had interest in it. So they started to uh, film what we do out there and put it on TV. Describe the process of excavating a, a a fossil bone. I would assume you don't go out there with pickaxes and and jackhammers. It's a oh. it's a very delicate process, isn't it? You wouldn't be far off. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> usually, once you find a rich area, yeah, uh, if it has a lot of what we call overburden topsoil, we'll bring in heavy equipment and remove that. It's down to a science where you can tell almost exactly where the bone layer starts. So we can use heavy equipment, and then we transition to shovels and pickaxes. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, <laughs> and I then, told you. Elementary questions. And then once we get to our first bones, we, uh, we transition to uh, hand tools, a lot of dental tools. So just like on Jurassic Park, using picks and dental tools and brushes to brush away the dirt. And if you're lucky, it brushes away. If it's a harder sediment, uh, we have to bring in these little micro air chisels and blast off the dirt from the bone. Okay. But no, we do use a lot of pickaxes. What's the one thing that, whether it was at the Hanson Ranch or, or any other place, the one, the one item that you've brought back to Texas going, you know what, this is... This is so cool. <laughs> Every year we find something new and different. Uh, I would have to say maybe our nano Tyrannus. For people that don't know, everyone knows Tyrannosaurus rex. Oh, sure. They don't know is a few years back there was a younger cousin discovered, and there was a big debate on whether it was a juvenile or a different species. And we found the second one ever, and those bones were on National Geographic and kind of helped uh, prove that it's a different species. So that's really cool for me. So anytime we find a theropod bone, the meat-eating dinosaurs, mm -hmm. their bones were hollow, extremely fragile, so they fall apart easy. So when we find those, it's always really cool. Texas is also a hotbed for finding fossils. It is. Obviously, you have Glen Rose in Dinosaur Valley. Mm -hmm. Have you worked in this area as well? Uh, I've worked a little with the uh, Glen Rose mm -hmm. Uh, folks who run the Dinosaur State Park, helping them with their footprints and some of the preservation techniques. Uh, one of my friends runs Texas Through Time, which is a little museum uh, south of us. It's closer to Waco. And I've just worked with him in collaboration, but I've never done any digs in Texas. I know most of the big digs are down around Big Bend in southwest Texas. And it's just quite a drive when I have five years of... <laughs> of work still to do in my own museum. So out there, uh, you mentioned the museum, which is great, the Dinosaur Science Museum on Southwestern Adventist University campus. Uh, the collection of bones has now surpassed 30,000. Yes. Do the majority of these bones, or do all the bones come from the Hanson Ranch? Yes. So 
we have I think a class count thirty two thousand what we call elements individual pieces that have ID numbers. Okay. Uh, they're not all large femurs, leg bones, or skulls. Uh, but yeah, thirty two thousand elements roughly. And those are the ones from the Hanson Ranch. We do have collections from other places in the world, uh, but we don't include those in our official uh, count for the museum because our our museum is pretty much focused on preserving the Hanson collection. Is there, whether it's from the Hanson Ranch or from anywhere in the world, is there the holy grail of fossils <laughs> that no one is yet to discover you know they're they're looking for a particular type of dinosaur fossil it's out there somewhere uh again i guess uh, going back to uh, <laughs> going back to indiana jones of looking for yeah. that one piece i don't know if there's a holy grail everyone wants a tyrannosaurus rex a yeah. complete skeleton because they're the most iconic they bring the most visitors they're worth the most money you know whatever side you come at it from so I would I would probably say if there was a holy grail, it would be a complete skeleton of something bigger and badder <laughs> than a T Rex. Than a T Rex. So uh, let's okay. A question about a T Rex. I'm out in the backyard. I'm digging out uh, a hole for a tree, and I happen to come across what turns out to be a T Rex tooth. You dig and you dig and you dig and you dig. There's nothing else there. Where did that tooth come from, and why isn't the rest of the body there? Good question. Uh, we find teeth from theropods, meeting dinosaurs, all the time. Uh, and it's usually because the tooth breaks off when they bite on something. So that could be evidence that there was a, a carcass there and the animal was scavenging or some other reason. And the tooth broke off and just ended up there in the fossil bed. And they had so many teeth, you can find lots of teeth without ever finding an animal. Okay. So theropod teeth aren't that uncommon. Uh, but finding the whole animal is is pretty rare. Huh. Back at the Hanson Ranch, how many varieties of dinosaurs are you finding? Uh, I think we're up to 15 to 17 different types of dinosaurs. Pretty much everything from the movies we have. <laughs> uh, Describe some. We have Triceratops. We have one of the largest skulls I think ever found. Triceratops had the three horns and the big frill on the head. Every kid will know. <laughs> uh, uh, raptors, types of raptors, not Velociraptor, but types of raptors. Uh, Tyrannosaurus rex, uh, Hadrosaurs, and Monosaurus, the duck-billed dinosaurs. Um, and it goes on from there. But uh, Pachycephalosaurus, the ones with the bony heads yeah. that would butt. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the ones that were made popular in the movies. Uh, the rams of the dinosaurs. Yeah, the rams, exactly. We have actually what we've been told the largest Pachycephalosaurus skull dome in the world. It's about 40 pounds and seven inches thick. And that's on display at the museum? That's on display. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the museum here in, a, in just a bit. How has modern technology worked its way into paleontology? I, I would assume uh, your uh, computers and uh, I, I read somewhere GPS is also yeah, working. So the historical way, once you find a bone, you kind of draw a picture of it, put strings everywhere to grid your, your bone bed, and you take measurements and kind of draw out the location of your bones in your bone bed. We have so many bones that just wasn't efficient for us. Hmm. So Dr. Chadwick, who founded the project, started to toy around with GPS technology, the same type of surveying equipment you see on the side of the road, uh, so we can get measurements within a centimeter. So every bone we find, we use GPS technology to track that bone, to outline the bone in the bone bed, and then take a picture of the bone with this GPS coordinates. And we can put all that together in the computer and reconstruct the bone bed in the, in the computer in a virtual way and study it. And if you go to our online museum, you can look up a bone and see where it goes in the bone bed, the exact position of that bone. Is there any type of technology where, for instance, you're on a boat and you can find using, um, I guess it would be sonar, where you mm -hmm. can find out where the fish are. Is there a similar type where you can find out where the bones are? They're, they're, they have been using some of that technology. Uh, we have a lot of mudstone, okay. and it's just very difficult in the area we work to use that. Uh, we are planning on getting some of that out to play around with it, but it hasn't been effective for us so far. 
Let's talk about the Dinosaur Museum. It's there on the campus of, of SWAU, SWAU, the uh, Southwestern Adventist University. And when was the museum founded? Uh, the museum, I guess, was founded when the project was. That would be the late 90s. Uh, the museum opened to the public and became more of what we call an official museum around 2017. Uh, so it's pretty new. We had this m- huge collection. It started in a classroom, then it got moved to a basement, and we're like, we need to show the public this. Yeah. And we decided to open up a public museum, so we remodeled half of our biology building, and it's free to the public. Uh, we just want people to have it as a resource for the community. And you're the director of and the I'm museum. The, I'm you, the new director. Yes. You're the new director, so you're not the original director. Dr. Chadwick, he gets all the credit okay. as founding the museum. And Dr. Chadwick is retired. He officially retired, but he doesn't go away. He's in the office. <laughs> He's in the office every day, still doing his research. What can a person expect to see at the museum? Uh, if you go to our museum, you're not going to go to the Perot Museum. Uh, you yeah. know, you're not going to see the Fort Worth Natural History Museum. We don't have. You know, all the the funding backing the museum. We don't have a huge display space, but we do have one-of-a-kind fossils. We have a lot of fossils, and I think what makes us special, other than being free, is that you get to have an intimate experience with paleontology. So you can touch bones. We have so many bones. We'll give kids bone fragments to take home. Hmm. Uh, You can talk to me. I mean, how many museums can you go to and talk to the director, a real paleontologist, uh, we have our lab set up where when you go through the museum, you can actually watch our workers cleaning bones and photographing bones and printing and replicating bones. So we really strive to make it a one-of-a-kind intimate experience with these fossils, not just pay and look at it, right. come experience it. What are the hours? We don't have set hours right now. A lot of our students run our museum, and COVID just kind of messed up the scheduling. Right. Uh, but we are happy to give personalized free tours all the time if you just go to our website and request a tour. So you're not only the the director of the museum, but you're also a, a working professor there mm-hmm. on campus, and you have a course. Now, the, the podcast is being released on January 13th, Wednesday, and... You have a course that actually started on January 10th of, um, see if I can get this right, the Paleontology Preparator Training and Certification Program, and describe the program and how someone can actually catch up uh, if they miss the January yeah, 10th uh, That's a, a really fancy way of saying we want to certify people in paleontology uh, being a technician, meaning we working with fossils. Uh, you can do pretty much the same thing if you go to our dig, but our dig may be cost prohibitive for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we actually keep it very cheap to attend the dig, and anyone can attend the actual dig, uh, but you have to get to Wyoming. So we want to take that whole experience and offer it to the public because people want to be involved even more so than they already are in our museum. Uh, so I came up with the idea to offer a course to give people a little certification in working with bones. Uh, so we're going to introduce you to what our bone bed, what our dig's all about in the first class in January. Uh, and then we'll start to teach you how to prep and take care, restore small fossils. Then we'll move into larger fossils. Uh, then we'll talk a little bit about data analysis and curation, how we take care, how we store them. So we're going to walk you through the whole process of, of what we do for every fossil and give you that opportunity to put it on your resume uh, if you're you know, a retiree and you just want to be involved with the museum. And basically what we're charging is enough to cover your, our costs for glue and materials. Okay. And that's it. We just want to get people more involved with the museum. And if you miss the first class, uh, the first class is very much an introductory class, so the January class, mm-hmm. and we can help you make up that information. And if someone wanted more information on the course... Everything's online at our website. uh, Which, if I recall, I'm going from memory now, (laughs) swau.edu. And then you can navigate to the Dinosaur Museum quite easily. Yeah, there's a little search button up there Mm -hmm. in the right-hand corner. And you can find information about the class. You can find information about tours and information about the actual dig. And see our online museum, which is the largest in the world. 
So I'm a working guy, nine to five, Monday through Friday, and I'm going, well, I, I can't take this course uh, because it, it's probably during my work day, is it? it it's on Sunday. It's on Sunday. It's on Sunday. There you go. <laughs> so you have no excuse not to take this course if you're interested in paleontology. Yeah, because our students are helping me teach the class, and I have a full-time job too during the week, so sure. Sunday's when we could fit it in. So, so the uh, the Dinosaur Science Museum, again, on the campus of Southwestern Adventist University, uh, or SWAU, S-W-A-U.edu is the website. We're speaking with Dr. Jared Wood, who is the uh, the new director of the... Three years now, so relatively new, I guess. <laughs> and... Reading your your bio on the Swahu website, uh, your your hobbies are are definitely outdoors, <laughs> with the exception of collecting guitars. Yeah, and how did that come about? Uh, my whole life, I've loved guitars. Even before I could play guitar, I just loved something about everything about the the acoustic guitar mainly. I think that's where the real skill is involved in creating a guitar, and. Uh, my love for guitar just grew over time, and when I got a, a real job, I had some more funds to start collecting some iconic models, and and now that's what I do. I just have a real passion for for guitars, not only music, but also the craftsmanship that goes into them. So this is more of an art collection for you? Than, In a way. you yeah. know, I don't want to be the guy, the typical doctor who only collects and can't mm-hmm. play. I, I, so you do play? I, I do play, okay. but I'm not a professional. Do you have, uh, oh, let's start with how many guitars do you own? And I think last count, my wife, <laughs> she should probably hold me to this, but I think, I think there's 17 and then, dispersed throughout the house and at, at the luthier right now. But And then do you have a favorite of the 17? Uh, the one I always wanted growing up with the Gibson J45. Uh, I just, all my heroes kind of played that. Yeah. Uh, but out of my current collection, I guess the one that I, en- I enjoy the most is my my new Martin D forty one. Okay, uh, I like what they did with the reimagined series. So, name someone famous who plays a Martin D forty one. Oh, <laughs> who doesn't? Right. It's... I know a lot of people might be familiar with John Party now. Yeah, uh, who plays? I think a D forty two that's okay. given to him by Dirks Bentley, but. Uh, uh, I think a lot, a lot more people play D forty fives and D forty ones, but D forty five didn't come in amber bursts. So, <laughs> see now, and I've been playing guitar for about 30, 40 years, but you're getting nerdy on me. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know more than most most people do. I, I probably have a PhD in guitars too. Do your guitars have names? No, they don't. I don't love them that much. Okay. So there's no Lucille in your collection? <laughs> not, no, they don't have names. Okay. And are they all acoustics? No, I have a few electrics, but you know, I don't have... You know, with acoustic guitars, I, I collect... I want one of every tone wood, right. one of every body shape, one of you know the different iconic brands, Uh so there's a lot more there than with electrics to me. To, for electrics, it's like, do you have a humbucker and do you have a, a single coil? <laughs> <laughs> right. Does it have a whammy bar? <laughs> uh, the, so if if someone wanted to come out to the, the science museum and look at fossils, can they ask you about guitars too? They can ask me about anything. You know, guitars, <laughs> fossils, I'm a big baseball player, uh, my, my conservation work. I work a lot with alligators in Oklahoma. Uh, we have a, a living animal collection that my students run uh, to educate local schools. So it's living animals, prehistoric animals, guitars, baseball. I have so many hobbies. My wife probably wish I'd slow down, but uh, <laughs> I'm never bored. Jared Wood, Dr. Jared Wood, uh, again, the uh, associate professor in the biology department at Southwestern Adventist University. This has been uh uh, this 20 minutes has gone yeah, fast. That was easy. Quick. That was very easy. Too quick. And uh, go out and see him at the Dinosaur Science Museum there on the campus of Southwestern Adventist University. And again, from Mansfield, it's only 30 minutes. Hop on Heritage Parkway, go west until you hit the campus. It's actually, yeah, a nice little relaxing drive. Uh, when I was at the University of Louisville, I had to drive through the Metroplex every day, and I don't miss that. So if you're visiting the campus, it's an easy drive. 
Dr. Jerry Wood, it's been a pleasure having you on a, about Mansfield, and I, I hope we get a few people out from Mansfield to go. Uh, I hope so to yeah. go see the yeah. uh, the the, the uh, dinosaur museum. Don't be scared to look me up directly. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Coming up next week on About Mansfield, it is Mansfield News, Talk, and Information. And we will finish our conversation with musician Wayne Willingham. I think he's going to perform a song. The show will be released on Wednesday, January 20th. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast if you haven't already, so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just enter your email address on our website, aboutmansfield.com. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts, Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Reporters, Stacey Main and Dennis Webb. City Council Recap, Casey Lewis. School Board Recap, Courtney Lackey-Wilson. Home Improvement Feature, Terry Radswin. Sports, Tommy Cummings. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo. And we thank you for listening on behalf of the entire news team. I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield.